What a great service. So now we're going to get into the message. And as you guys know, we have been exploring uh, the goodness of God so far this year in 2023. And this is a a theme that we're going to be diving into. Uh, And I believe it's a really important thing for us to talk about. But not only is the goodness of God something really important to talk about, but I think it's a really important time for us to talk about it as well. Because you guys know just as well as I do that the narrative out there in the world at the moment is very loud. The secular public conversation that we hear is that God is not objectively real, but if he was real, he definitely wouldn't be good. And that is said by commentators outright. We see it in the bias in our media. It's reinforced by the social media content that our algorithms throw at us. It is insinuated a lot in our entertainment. And it is declared very boldly by those who have a religious fervor against God. And so it's this cultural idea that seems to be pressed upon our minds, and that is why a series like this is really important for us. It's great for us to talk about it, bring it to the surface, and as a community, explore it. Because church, this morning, I want to remind you all that we are not called to be products of our culture around us. Romans 12 says that we are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We hold to something so much greater than changing culture or changing ideas, greater than worldly priorities that shift. We hold to Jesus. We apprentice under him and his lordship and his teachings and his ways. And because of that, the culture can rage like a storm around us, but we can be at peace in the boat with him. And so I'm going to just say it this morning, God is good. Amen. And God is good in a way that is above our ways. He is good in the grand scheme of everything throughout all time, and he remains so in our joys, and he also remains so in our pain and in our difficulty and in our suffering. That's right. This morning, we're going to talk a bit about that tension that we feel between God's goodness and our own pain and suffering. Because we cannot talk about the goodness of God without discussing this idea. And I'll be honest with you guys, no single sermon is going to do justice uh, to this in one go. Which is why we'll look at an aspect of it today that really involves pain and suffering at the hands of other people and other people's choices and other people's free wills. And then later on, uh, we'll look at another aspect of this when we uh, go through the book of Job. And so this morning... um, when we look at this tension of, uh, between God's goodness and our pain, we're actually going to explore the story of Joseph uh, together and how he responded to that pain and that, that suffering with a deep trust in God and in God's goodness. So let's just pray together as we start. Lord, we thank you so much that uh, your word is a light to our path, Lord, that you can reveal truth to us in a way that changes our lives. And so this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would reveal the truth of the goodness of God to us in a way that transforms us and that frees us to worship you with abandon. Lord, we just invite you into everything this morning. Speak through me and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So for those of you who aren't uh, overly familiar with the story of Joseph, uh, it starts in the book of Genesis in chapter 37. Uh, And Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. 
And Jacob is the grandson of Abraham, who is the forefather of all the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Um, Now, clearly, I am not the favorite pastor at this church, except for one emerge kid that I awkwardly put on the spot. (laughs) Um, But unlike me, Jacob was actually the clear favorite, uh, uh, Joseph was the clear favorite son of Jacob. Uh, And maybe I'm glad I'm not the favorite pastor because I'm really glad that the other pastors aren't going to gang up on me, beat me up, throw me in a hole, and then sell me off as a slave. Um, I don't think that they would do that. But that's exactly what Joseph's brothers did with him. They were filled with jealousy and this special treatment that he seemed to have, particularly after he had these dreams that kind of revealed the special favor of God on his life. So it just tipped them over the edge. They said, we've had enough. Let's get rid of him. And that is exactly what they did. And so Joseph is sold as a slave in Egypt to a man named Potiphar, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of his guard. But despite this hardship, Despite the cruel treatment in this home, Joseph honoured God and he rose up to be uh, in charge of this whole household. Uh, But unfortunately, Potiphar's wife thought that Joseph looked just ripe for some adultery um, and so approached him and asked him to go to bed with her. But Joseph refused. Uh, And so after a while, she was scorned enough to lie about him, to throw his reputation in the mud, and he was arrested Uh, and thrown in prison. And here again, we see cruel treatment of Joseph. He suffered a great deal at the hands of his brothers and for doing the right thing with Potiphar's wife. And we get to get a glimpse of Joseph's heart in uh, Genesis chapter 39, verse 9 to 10, where he responds to Potiphar's wife by saying this, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. What character, hey? Isn't this awful, though? Joseph does the right thing, and because of the evil of others, he suffers horribly for it. Have you guys ever felt like that? Have you guys ever felt like you've tried to honor God, tried to do the right thing, tried to put yourself out there in good faith with other people, and yet you feel like you suffered for it? That people maybe treated you poorly or betrayed you or gossiped about you or slandered about you behind your back. If you have experienced that, you're in great company uh, with Joseph this morning. Because this is a hard reality of the life that we live. We often suffer because of the wickedness and sometimes just the carelessness of other people. Even from childhood, the poor decisions that others make can traumatize us and hurt us and wound us in a way that we carry those, but these hurts do not have to define us either. You see, after Joseph goes uh, to prison, even there, he still just persists in honoring God. It was likely that he was in prison for more than three years. All that we know that he was uh, in prison and is a slave in Potiphar's house for 13 years. 13 years. But even in slavery and even in imprisonment, he was faithful and he was diligent and he sought to honor God. And most of us, we know how this story ends. Uh, God gives Joseph this ability to interpret dreams. He interprets a dream of the imprisoned uh, cupbearer and baker. uh, And then eventually he gets to interpret a, a tormenting dream of Pharaoh himself. 
And after this, he's entrusted with the position of being ruler over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And Joseph gets to work. He starts to prepare the nation for this great famine that's coming. uh, And he helps avert disaster for Egypt and the nations beyond. Now, nobody knows exactly what the population of Egypt was at the time, but estimates put it between two to four million people. It was one of the most densely populated areas in the ancient world at the time because the Nile was just so fertile. And here, in this circumstance, in this hardship, we see that God had a plan at work. Joseph really suffered. More than most of us will in our lifetimes. He was betrayed by people closest to him. All his freedom was stripped away. His character was assassinated. He was imprisoned and forgotten and alone. But God worked all of that together for good. God walked with him through that time of suffering. And by it, he averted the suffering of, and the starvation of millions of people. At the book of Genesis, in chapter 50, we see Joseph's brothers bowing before him, just like in the dream right at the very beginning. And Joseph, filled with grace for his brothers, tells them not to be afraid. And he says this in verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive today as they are today. And here we see that the suffering of one person, one man in the hands of God, handed over to God, was able to avert and save countless others from great suffering because he handed himself over in trust to the goodness of God. And this morning, as we look at this story of Joseph, as we explore the goodness of God, I believe that we really need to understand that God does not waste our hardship. He does not waste our suffering in this life for the life of the believer. God, in fact, journeys with us through our hardest times, and then he also uses those hard times for great good. If you feel comfortable this morning, can I just see a show of hands? Who here has gone through something really difficult in their lives? Who's gone through some horrible, difficult times, but you can now see that God has worked that together for good in your life and in your heart and your relationship with him? Could I just see a show of hands? That is awesome. That is most people in this room right now. But hindsight is a really powerful thing, isn't it? But what God calls us to is to trust him and trust his goodness through hardship and through suffering, even in times when we have absolutely no clarity about how it could possibly be worked for good. Because if, like Joseph, we trust God through it, he can work it for good. Because Romans 8.28 has this wonderful and this clear promise for those who are in relationship with God. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Guys, often we do suffer because of the free will of other people. But God, because of his goodness, he works and he weaves behind the scenes to bring about good even from the hardest and most difficult situations. Now, we can really struggle to see that sometimes because we're still in that slavery stage. We're still uh, kind of serving in Potiphar's house. 
Or we're still in prison waiting two years for the cupbearer or the baker to mention our name and get us out. But God sees the entire timeline. He stands outside of time. It is his creation. He is both cosmic and grand, but he is also intimate in the details with you at the same time. He is close to us through difficulty, but he also assures us that though real, And though painful in the moment, it cannot even be compared to the goodness that he has in store for his loved ones because he is good. In Romans 8.18, the Apostle Paul teaches about this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. It is not worth being compared. And that is something that we need to know about the goodness of God this morning. No matter how hard, how difficult, how painful, the good that he has for us far outweighs it all. It is far greater, but often we only see it when we zoom out and we see the grander picture of what God is doing in the the story of mankind. If all we see is the pain in the moment, it is so difficult for us to see God's goodness at work in it all. You see, Paul, in the same vein as Romans 8.18, says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When you guys know the difficulty of the life that Paul lived following Jesus, you know that this means something coming from him. He, like Joseph, suffered a lot because of his obedience to Jesus, particularly because of the hate and the evil of others. For sharing his faith in Jesus, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was falsely accused, he was isolated, and even eventually killed for his faith. But what people meant for evil in his life, God worked together for good. Though Paul suffered in this life, when you zoom out, you see that his writings in the New Testament have impacted the lives of billions of people over the past nearly 2,000 years. Many of your lives here today have been completely changed by Paul's writings. Is that true? Yes. That only makes sense when you zoom out to see the grand picture of what God is doing. Craig Blomberg, who wrote a great book called Can We Still Believe in God, refers to Paul's writings here. I love what he says. He says, It is amazing that Paul can think of his experience in this life as light and momentary troubles from any vantage point. But when one considers the lifespan of any human with its finite amount of suffering, however severe, In the perspective of eternity, such evil approaches the vanishing point compared to the unending good and glory available to those who accept God's free gift of salvation in Christ. Amen. Like the temporary pain of a needle that can save a life and lead to joy, so too pain in this life gets brought into perspective when we zoom out, when we trust that it isn't all-consuming, that it is only ever going to be temporary. Because in Jesus, pain and suffering are never the end game. Really hear that this morning, church. And what is crazy about this is that even in this life, it can produce something. God never wastes our hardship, but only God can do that. In Romans 5, 3 to 5, Paul has some kind of hard but really 
encouraging at the same time teaching about the nature of suffering. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, sometimes we cannot see what hardship is doing in us. But if we persevere under it, if we trust God through it, it works in us character and it works in us hope in Him, not hope in this short temporary life. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and lie to any of you this morning and make up some false doctrine that God will only ever give you an easy, comfortable life. There is no such promise in Scripture. But what he does promise is that he will be with us through hardship and that he will work that hardship together for ultimate good. And this may be hard for us. This can be difficult for us. uh, But the Bible teaches this so strongly, so clearly. Jesus says things like, Blessed are you when people revile you and say evil things about you on my account. We're told in the New Testament that we can rejoice in trials, that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That we can be content with weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. But we need to have a correct view of this. Because often, we can react to hardship in two ways. Trusting in the goodness of God through the midst of it. Or doubting God's goodness in the midst of it as well. And our character, the character that we have formed, will determine how we respond in these difficult times. What happens if Joseph just gave up in Potiphar's house? What if he said, you know what, God's done wrong by me. He gave me a dream and then I end up in slavery. I'm just going to sleep with Potiphar's wife because God is not good to me. What happens if he gave up in prison? He just gave up into despair. He dropped his hope in God. What happens if when his brothers appeared before him, he beat them, he imprisoned them, he sold them into slavery and took vengeance into his own hands? You see, all of us are confronted with these options when we are hurt by other people. But Joseph trusted in the goodness of God through it all. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, can we trust God's goodness through our pain? When you are hurt by the people around you, when you feel betrayed, when you feel overlooked or abandoned or lied about or gossiped about, how do you respond? You see, we can. We can, as God's people, respond differently with the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Because our full hope, the full extent of our hope is not in the pain that we suffer, but the eternal hope that we have in Jesus that far outweighs it all. Ask yourself this morning, what are you willing to endure? What hits will you take? How deeply can you trust in God's goodness through difficulty and through pain? Because guys, the world out there doesn't have that same hope that you have. They have no meaning in their suffering. Many have convinced themselves that this is all just messy cosmic chance. It's a meaningless kind of nasty fight for survival, yet the only problem is is no one survives. There is no ultimate hope, no ultimate truth, no ultimate purpose in life, and no ultimate redemption for any pain and suffering. 
But in Jesus, pain and suffering are never, ever the end game. And I believe that one of the only ways that we can make sense of the suffering in our world is to see it in light of the larger story that God is weaving throughout all of history and in light of the eternity that waits for us. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 17, following on uh, from Paul's statement about light and momentary troubles, he says this. He says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I believe that this is the perspective key that we have to have. We have to fix our eyes. We have to see through this lens of truth. And, and, and Peter reaffirms this perspective. In 1 Peter 1.6, he says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the perspective that we need to hold. God never wastes our hardship. But to do this, and to do this well, we have to have a deep trust in God. We have to have a deep trust in His goodness. We, we have to know that He is good. A soul-deep revelation of His goodness will carry us through those difficult times. But let's be real. Some of us need to overcome our doubt about God's goodness. Some of us battle with this. Some of us struggle with God's goodness. We, we battle in our minds with some of those tougher parts uh, of suffering. Questions like, why did God allow evil and suffering in the first place? The, the difficulty of hell, the violence in the Old Testament, God's apparent slowness to stop evil here and now. These questions can roll around in our minds if we do not resolve them, and they can eat away at our deep trust in God's goodness. If we don't address them, if we don't pray through them and wrestle them out, they can sit deep within our subconscious. And as we try to worship God in church, there's a part of us that will hold back, doubting that he is truly good. And when difficult times come knocking at our door, we can become unanchored. Because knowing God's goodness anchors us through those difficult times. Now, I cannot address all these questions for you this morning. Only your favorite pastor can do that. <laughs> Time will not permit it. But I want to tell you guys this morning that you don't have to be afraid to ask the questions about God's goodness. Don't let the world deceive you with its loud, angry voice about God. Please, church, do not settle for not fully believing this truth about God. In our day and age, you will hear a lot of people try to discredit the idea of God's goodness. They'll try to say that people are inherently good, but the God of the Bible is definitely not good, despite our obvious experience of that every single day. It's strange, but it is a common modern philosophy. They'll try to challenge your faith by saying things like, you know, well, God kind of commanded that the Israelites wipe out the whole nation of Israel. How can a good God do something like that? And they'll plant in your mind this kind of seed of doubt about God's goodness. And guys, if I'm honest with you, if 
I'm just totally honest with you, there were times when I was reading accounts in the Old Testament uh, and I struggled to understand God's goodness in what I read. It seemed raw and it seemed really rough and it seemed really brutal to my 21st century kind of fluffy ideals of goodness and politeness. And I really struggled with those things for a time. And before I resolved them, they actually impacted on my perception of God. Just being honest with you guys. But rather than allow those things to uh, ebb away at my faith in the goodness of God and trust in God, I decided, you know what, I need to explore those more deeply. And it only really started to make sense when I began to see that God is working on this whole picture in a way that is difficult to understand. But nearly all of the stories in the Bible are like Joseph's stories. God is contending with people's wickedness and sinfulness and free wills, working things together for good. It is man that is truly capable of evil and that things aren't just as simple as a throwaway tagline criticism of God. Just as as an example, um, with the nation of Canaan, I learned that these nations were given 400 years to repent and turn to God. That these nations would not go willingly, they would not change their ways. That these nations sacrificed innocent infants to their false gods in the most cruel and barbaric ways. It was horrible learning about it. These cultures were filled with violence, licentiousness, incest, abuse, child sacrifice. It was horrific to learn what these people in these nations did. And then I realized, as tough as that, as the violence in the Old Testament was, God leaving them be for another 400 years to kind of carry on with those practices seemed equally difficult for me to comprehend. More difficult. That in God's goodness, at some point he said, enough is enough. But like in the story of Joseph, that only makes sense when you zoom out and you see the whole picture of what God is doing. And though God is in the minute details of our lives, walking with us through our pain, the full story, the big picture is the space at which God is working in. The God of the Bible sees the end from the beginning. He knows the outcome of every decision. He is God and we are his creatures. And when he acts, he acts out of his goodness. It is always out of his goodness, even when the decision is really hard for us to digest, as he contends with the evil free will and choices of mankind. But it is an immutable fact of his character that God is completely good. And church, it's just, it is critical that we believe that this morning. Like me, if you have wrestled... um, with his goodness. Don't just leave those questions rolling around in, your, in the back of your mind, eroding your trust in God's goodness. It actually deserves time, it deserves thought, and it deserves prayer. Uh, because the enemy would love nothing more for you in your mind to question or doubt the goodness of God. And so if you haven't found satisfying answers for questions like why God would allow evil in the first place, why he doesn't stop it, why there has to be so much evil, uh, couldn't God have created a world without evil, if those things roll around in your mind uh, and they've taken root, explore them. There are really intellectually and spiritually satisfying answers uh, for these questions. And and some great books that I've read that I've found a lot of... um, yeah, a lot of solid answers and succinct, logical, compelling arguments in uh, these ones. I just thought I'd chuck them on the screen. Feel free to get a photo. Feel free to read some of these if you battle with that. Uh, when Skeptics Asked by Norman uh, Geiser is a great one, really succinct. The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis is a, um, is a real classic. The Reason for God has a chapter specifically on this that I think is really good. Uh, and Can We Still Believe in God by Craig Blomberg, which I quoted before. 
Because the fact is, we, just, we need to trust God through our hardship, just like Joseph did, just like Paul did. But if we do not fully believe that he is good, if we do not believe 100% in his goodness, that's going to be very, very difficult for us. We need to be asking the Holy Spirit to reveal the goodness of God to us, but it's also healthy for us to process our thoughts so that we can know that there is a good God to call upon in our day of trouble. And the good news, the best news of all, is that we can most clearly and most convincingly see God's goodness on display in Jesus. We know his goodness most deeply because of how he demonstrated it at the cross. I don't want to ruin the ending of the Bible while we're still in the Old Testament. But God's most powerful demonstration of his goodness to us in light of difficulty and pain and suffering is in Jesus. He too suffered one for many so that countless people could be forgiven of their sins and joined with him in eternity. God, again, did what he does and he used the suffering of one to produce something because of his goodness. Because in Jesus, pain and suffering are never the end game. It is something that he uses for good. The life of one paid the penalty for many to be forgiven. God washed us. He justified us and brought us to God. That is the pattern of the work of God throughout the history of mankind. That what people mean for evil, God works together for good. People meant evil for Jesus, but God worked that together for the greatest good. In Jesus, we see his goodness most clearly. He is good. I want to say it as many times as I can this morning, church. And at the same time, because he is good, he uses our hardship, our pain, our suffering for good purposes. It is wonderful news. And that can be hard for us. We can struggle with that idea when we think that God is kind of up in heaven, uh, on his throne, carelessly removed, while we're down here contending with the mess of it all. But that is not the story of Jesus. Like Joseph entered slavery in prison to be used by God for the salvation of many, Jesus entered our mess. God came down. He was taken prisoner. He was accused wrongly. Jesus suffered and bled. He was spat on and scorned, even though he had done no wrong. God does not look down on your suffering removed from it. In fact, he took on the full weight of all of our suffering that we were heading towards, and he paid a price for it in his body and with his blood. He took the vicious hate of evil men on our behalf, and he walks with us through the pain that we experience in our lives, in our slavery moments, in our prison moments. And just in saying that, I just really want to take a moment this morning, and I think it's important to, to acknowledge something. It is really good for us to have some intellectual anchors um, so that when pain and hardship and difficulty strike, we don't go adrift. We don't want our anchors rusty so that uh, they don't crumble when we need them. But for those of us, those of you this morning that are in the midst of something really uh, painful, something really difficult, that's often not what's needed in those moments. For those of you going through something right now, what you may need is just someone to weep with you, someone to sit with you, someone to hurt with you. Jesus wept with those who were hurting. He didn't just state doctrinal facts in that moment. 
And as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which some of you may be in right now, what we often need is just someone there with us. And that is what Jesus does. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. And we do not fear because he is with us. Like a good parent that feels the pain of their children, he is with us in our pain. And pastorally, that's what we want to do too. We want to walk with you guys through your pain. We want to pray with you. We want to sit with you. We want to weep with you until you feel that you're beginning to walk out from under the shadow of the valley. That is how we want to be as a church community, there for each other, journeying with each other through those moments of pain as Jesus would and as Jesus would have us. But guys, the ultimate... Ultimately, wonderful news is that he has promised to throw it all away. In Revelations 21.4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. Could I just get the team up as we close? Guys, in this life, God contends... uh, with our stubbornness, with the stubborn hearts of of people that refuse to submit to his ways. But God is patient. God is merciful and he is good. It is in God's goodness that he is patient with us, allowing time for mankind to repent and to turn to him. But it is also out of his goodness that one day he's just going to say, enough is enough. Because God is good, everything that he does is good throughout all eternity, throughout the full story of mankind. And that is such good news for us here this morning. And so this morning, may you be uh, encouraged by the life of Joseph. May you be able to persist through your own hardship, persist when you are treated poorly, when you are mocked, when you are shamed, when you're hurt, knowing fully, knowing truly that people may intend evil for you, but God has this wonderful way of working it together for good. And that is because God truly is good. Let's just pray together this morning before we close uh, with the last song. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, we pray that we would not be blind to the good work that you do in mankind. We pray that your Holy Spirit will reveal to us the depth of your goodness in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. We pray that you would encourage us this morning, that you would give us strong anchors in you, Lord. We thank you, God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.